if we can prescribe medications digitally from our everyday workflow, and when I say our, I mean doctors taking care of patients, nurses, and others in the health system taking care of patients. Why can't we connect people to the resources of their communities with just as much simplicity and ease and satisfaction? We weren't comfortable talking about publicly uh, because obesity affects the way people look. And I think people are hesitant to, to speak negatively about the way people look. And it seems a little invasive. And I just decided that that strategy was was not going to work for us. And so I you know, just to raise awareness. And really what I launched was an awareness campaign. I, I went to the zoo and I stood in front of the elephants and I placed the entire city on a diet and said, we're going to lose a million pounds. And that's when it all started. And that was about 10 years ago. Increasingly, we're realizing that the efforts for improving health have to move beyond the typical public health and healthcare sectors and really need to move out into other sectors um, and into our communities in order for us to have the kind of impact that we're looking for. But, but Ebony, doesn't this sound like a public health revolution? Yeah, but I think that's what we need. What we, need. we really do need that. Hello and welcome. This is the April 2019 podcast of the American Journal of Public Health. As you may know, National Public Health Week, also known as hashtag NPHW, occurs every year during the first full week of April. The mission of the week is to showcase the importance of public health in our daily life and to promote its strengthening. The theme for 2019 is for science, for action, and for health. I have invited scientists and policymakers to talk about how they can base policymaking on scientific evidence, how they can communicate the evidence to make it available for the public health actors, and as a result, how they can proactively advance the health of the public. You have heard my free guest for this podcast in the introduction. They illustrate three different but linked aspects of the connection between science, action, and health. Stacy Tesla-Linda explains how public health messages can reach the community. Mick Cornett discusses what it takes to implement a mass prevention strategy to transform the health habits of a community. And Ebony Bulwer describes how a community can be empowered to lead the change. I am Alfredo Morabia, Editor-in-Chief of AJPH, and we are March 10th, 2019. Chapter 1. Reaching out to the community. My interviewee is Stacy Tesler-Lindau. She's a professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Chicago. I was first curious to know what motivated her to actually look beyond her doctor's office and her research lab and get a public health message 
to the community. I have been frustrated as a physician by my limited understanding and the lack of information I have to help make good quality connections for patients to the programs and services and resources in their communities that they can use to stay well. My, my frustration is that so many of my patients, even my patients with the, with the least, you know, with, with home all day with kids, um, maybe working two or three jobs, they are motivated to be well and for their kids to be healthy. And they're at a loss for where they can go to stay fit, where they can go to lose weight, how they can get access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And I tell them to do those things, but without any good quality information to, to, to make good on those recommendations. And that really bothered me. And it turns out I'm not the only healthcare professional who's bothered by that problem. So imagine I'm a healthcare, a healthcare worker, you know, like, uh, um, you know, lower skilled healthcare workers. I work hard. I'm very tired. I happen to have hypertension. Uh, so what would it change? What would change for me if uh, I belong to Community Rx or I could benefit from Community Rx? Very practically, explain to me what, how my life would be different. So a person with hypertension, uh, let's say uh, a person who works in environmental services here at the hospital, he has hypertension, he gets, a, he gets an hour off from work to go see his primary care doctor, also here at the hospital. Um, and the doctor says, you know what, you're at the point now where you need medication. Doctor writes a prescription, a digital prescription to the patient's preferred pharmacy for an antihypertensive medicine. And the doctor says, look, there are some other things you really need to do to take care of your health. You need fitness. You're pretty active in your job, uh, but on the weekends it would be good if you could be fit or if you could get some more cardiovascular exercise. The, the guidelines for heart health recommend that. And you need to lose some weight and you need to stop smoking. And you know what? Uh, maybe you need a baby aspirin. The person yeah, but who... I, I don't who, have the time to do all that. You know, I'm very tired. Right. I have to go and get so, my kids when I go home and I uh, have to cook for them. And then I just have the time to sleep a bit and then I'm back to work. I mean, you're kidding. That's me. right. I'm going to make it easy for you. Well, at the very least, what I'm going to do is say, guess what? I know two great places in every one of these categories near your home. I know two places you can go for smoking cessation. And these places offer services on a free or sliding scale basis. I know about free fitness um, classes in your neighborhood, and you can bring your kids to those. And here, I'm going to give you a healthy RX. This is a printed um, uh, prescription that lists these resources near your home. It tells you where they are, the hours of operation. Is it free? Is it sliding scale? Um, it tells you what languages are spoken. And I'm, and I'm going to come to agreement with you about which one of these things do you think you could try first? Now you leave my office, you finish your job for the day, you go home and you might say, you know what, now's the time I'm going to start working out and I, I can do it on Saturdays and bring my kids along too. And you not now, not only are you um, doing something to manage your high blood pressure, maybe even get healthy enough, you can stop taking the medication, but you're using the information to help the kids in your household. And the research we've done shows us that this kind of an intervention, helping people connect to the resources of their community for their health, it, um, is an intervention that spreads. 
the, the person himself gets this information. And about half the time, now we've seen this in two different studies, half the time people use the information on the Healthy RX to help somebody else. That's my, my favorite finding from this research. Thank you, Doc. I'm convinced, you know. But how do you know, how do you know that it works? Stacey, guess what? Last weekend, I went to uh, the gym with my kids and it worked well. And I'm going to do this every weekend from now on. Have you gotten this information? Do you know that? How will, you know, the reaction, my reaction in particular, but of all your other patients come back to you and for you to be able to monitor it? Yes. What we'd like to see ultimately is that connecting people to the resources, their community makes them healthier. And I would say the science, including my own, is not there yet. As you know, we've just completed a study that shows us that connecting people to the resources of their community in the, in the simplest way, just making sure they don't leave the doctor without this list of resources curated for them does increase their confidence or their self-efficacy that they can find the resources they need. Is it exportable? Are there other places where it happens? Could you compare, learn from multiple experiences? Health systems are using this technology, but it turns out that there are other sectors that want to be able to connect people to the resources of the community. So we're working with child welfare, for example. We're starting to hear interest from schools. We've worked with the prison system. Everybody needs community to be well. Let's move to chapter two, transforming the community. My interviewee is Mick Cornett, who served four terms as Republican mayor of Oklahoma City from 2004 to 2018, and who was president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors from 2016 to 2017. Mick Cornett is credited for having transformed Oklahoma City from one of the fattest cities in the U.S. to one of the fittest cities based on the same metrics used by the magazine Men's Health for its ranking. I was intrigued by his decision to fight obesity, not by targeting the obese, but by putting, as he coined it, the whole city on a diet. And I just think if you're really serious about dealing with obesity, you've got to admit that it's it's about what you eat and it's about how much you eat. And the message about exercise should be universal to everyone in your community, not just people that are obese. And I, I never backed off of that, that premise that people who are obese are not going to exercise their way out of it. They're going to have to adjust what they eat and how much they eat. But you see, Mick, this is really fantastic because this idea of everybody must lose weight and not only the fattest. This is one of the, the main theory today in, in public health and in epidemiology. It's called mass prevention. Did you come out with this idea uh, on your own or, or did you read about it? How, how did you get it? 
No, it was, it's on my own, but I, you know, I've, I've had a, an entire life spent battling obesity as a, as a child, as an adult. And so I had a lot of experience with, uh, you know, weight gain and weight loss and through the years. And uh, as mayor, and especially when I realized that, uh, you know, our city was obese and I had allowed myself to become an example of that, I knew I could take care of my personal issues and I lost weight. But I realized that the built environment in Oklahoma City and most Western cities had been built around the automobile and a very sedentary lifestyle, and that we really needed to address that, that the city had a responsibility for a healthier built environment. And so we have built a much more pedestrian-friendly community uh, full of sidewalks and jogging and biking paths and more narrow streets downtown. And I think that's part of it, too. And, and of course, you see bike lanes and, and, a, and a lot of additional infrastructure changes coming. But uh, you know, here we are 10 years after that initial awareness campaign, and our county health department reports that our statistics are all heading in the right direction. So, Mick, which statistics are going in the right direction? Areas like obesity, cancer, heart disease, strokes, um, you know, some very critical metrics that they, they track are all heading in a better direction than they were. And you sense when you're in Oklahoma City that, that we are cognizant that we're trying to be a healthier community. And I think a mayor and, and leaders do have an opportunity to kind of set a tone for people. And by starting a conversation, what it really did was it allowed business leaders to talk about obesity with their employees. It allowed church leaders uh, to feel more comfortable talking from the pulpit about obesity. I think it, it allowed husbands and wives to have honest conversations that maybe they weren't having before. And so uh, by by bringing it out in the open and just insisting that we have a public discussion about it, I think you, you set up a, a uh, an environment that is going to be more um, supportive and uh, and more receptive. Had you become a governor, you would have launched a campaign, the state is going on a diet? <laughs> well, it would have been probably something like that. It would have been, uh, would have been a little different. But the, yeah, the whole idea was that, that we would have taken that healthier culture uh, and, and placemaking and healthier infrastructure statewide and I would have spent a great deal of time talking to people individually about the importance of watching what they eat and how much they eat. So in case you become president of the United States, would you <laughs> launch the program, the United States are going on a diet? Well, maybe not that directly, but I've had so much experience now and I'm, I'm so comfortable talking about my own weight issues and uh, and collectively Oklahoma cities that that I've kind of gotten over and gotten past that. And, and I think it would be helpful if we had more leaders across the country who were more willing to step up and speak on obesity. We have arrived at Chapter 3, Empowering the Community. My interviewee is Ebony Bulware. She's professor and chief of the Division of General Internal Medicine and also director of the Clinical and Translational Science Award at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. I invited her to report on her involvement with the Durham Neighborhood 
compass. What's the objective? Compass to go where? I would say. The objective is to improve health of the community,、um, and that is by ha- having community stakeholders all get engaged in health. The idea behind the compass is really to improve health by understanding where、um, people are coming, what people are coming into the healthcare system for, so that we can begin to prevent some of those conditions or help、uh, mitigate them through、um, healthy strategies outside of the healthcare system.、Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example of what such a strategy would be, or has been, or very、um, practical? Early, yeah, the, one of the earliest examples rose out of an early pilot of this called the Southeastern Diabetes Initiative, where we mapped out、um, the health systems mapped out where the highest rates of diabetes prevalence were in the Durham County community, and then there were a series of tiered interventions. To help treat and prevent diabetes across the community. Number one, there was a community advisory stakeholder board that was able to look at these data, see maps of diabetes prevalence,、um, and then begin to think about what are the strategies we can use to improve diabetes、um, rates. So they ranged from very intensive interventions where people were going into the homes of of people in the community, into those neighborhoods, and into their homes to help. Do self management where nurses would reach out to and community health workers, all the way to、um, broader community level interventions to teach about healthy diet,、um, including gardening interventions,、um, raised raised bed gardens to help people think about growing their own food and、um, creating healthy diet environments for themselves. So、um, that was one of the the initial pilots、um, in taking that health system data and then developing targeted. Place-based interventions to improve health. Who are the stakeholders in, in this project?、Um, the primary stakeholders are obviously Durham County community residents,、um, but the leading stakeholders would be the City of Durham, the County of Durham, the Durham County、um, uh, Public Health Department. So、um, those are and, elected you know, officials, or th- those elected、uh, and appointed. Elected and appointed. Through,、mm-hmm. um, yeah, local. And so,、uh, so how do you know that the community is engaged in this process of building the compass? Right now, there are listening sessions that are going on with community residents about the compass. So, community、um, residents are involved in the development of the compass, in particular, some of the health、um, information that's being displayed.、Um, there are active community listening sessions ongoing. So, the community. Members actually have an opportunity to to talk to have a voice in how it actually how the depictions of information look and whether they get displayed or how they get displayed. But it's a growing、mm-hmm. activity. Let's see. And and, and how, what motivates the community to be involved in the compass?、Um, the Durham community has been very activated around health for quite some time.、Um, Durham County was a, one of the original Robert Wood Johnson Culture of Health Prize winners in the inaugural、mm-hmm. year,、um, and that reflected years on years of multi-stakeholder collaborations, focusing on key community health concerns such as access to specialty medical services, environmental changes to support physical activity, improving educational attainment. And reducing exposure to harms such as secondhand smoke. 
So there's been a very long standing history of connections and collaborations around health in Durham. And so let's jump a little bit, uh, you know, uh, and imagine what uh, such a model could be if it were uh, generalized nationally. How do you see that? It would be going from bottom up or, uh, you know, top down. How could we have the Durham model uh, developed nationwide? Well, I think it can happen in multiple directions. Uh, obviously, it needs partnerships because um, one of the key, you need the data and the information. So I think the key element, one of the key elements is that you have stakeholders who are willing to share information across their typical domains so that they're able to then come up with unique interventions. And then I think also that it does have to be grassroots, ground level, because the example I gave you, for example, I think multiple communities could map out diabetes prevalence rates um, in their community. If if health systems or other, and there are several sources of data, but through you know publicly available data, health system data, you, we can map out disease prevalence rates or condition prevalence rates. But then all of the interventions actually need to be locally, often need to be locally um, developed at the local level. For mm-hmm. instance, what might um, be a major um, impetus for diabetes prevalence in one community might not be strong of an impetus for diabetes prevalence in another. Or let's look at things like violence or stress or other very locally um, local contexts that communities need to address sort of at the ground level. So I think at the broader, the big vision is that at the broader level nationwide, we could understand what's happening with health at a very granular level. So in in multiple neighborhoods across the country, it would be wonderful if we can map that out. But then to have communities locally develop strategies that are relevant to their communities to improve health. Um, I think, yeah. So you would imagine, for example, other counties in North Carolina developing the same thing and then uh, federalizing at the level, at the state level and then joining with uh, other counties in Alabama, Nebraska, California, and New York, and finally having a, a national neighborhood compass? Yes, that's exactly what I would envision. We're, we're actually, you know, we're in discussions with others in, in our state trying to, to do that very thing. Um, but, you know, th- one of the things is that it takes time. You know, it takes a lot of coalition building, um, a lot of relationship building. But that that's uh, but I think we're we're really on our way. I think communities around the country are, are poised for this. At the end of these interviews, isn't it refreshing to see how much is going on? It is not easy to reach out to the community. My interviewees did not describe all the tremendous background work needed to connect with the community, convince it to transform itself, and empower it so that it can implement the transformation. But those who invest the energy and creativity in such endeavors obtain extremely rewarding results. 
With Stacy Tesler Linda, we have seen how Community Rx maps resources, connects people to them, and once the process is appropriated by the community, it acquires its own dynamic. With Mayor Cornette, we saw the power of mass prevention. The case of Oklahoma City is fascinating because the majority of the population there being obese, it made little sense to develop a prevention strategy targeting the obese only. The message about diet and physical activity had to be universal. It had to reach everyone so that the community as a whole decided to reduce its collective weight. Finally, with Ebony Bulwer, we saw that the Durham experience let us envision an America with two, three, many Durham campuses using their enriched federal perspectives to foster effective local transformations. I'm grateful to all my interviewees for their time and willingness to share their ideas. I also thank Emily D'Agostino for assisting me with the production of the podcast. Thank you also to Michael Costanza for comments and edits on an earlier version of the podcast. Francis Jacob prepared a pastiche of a famous rock song, which, if not about science, is about action. Guess which one? This is Alfredo Morabia at AJPH. For more podcasts, including podcasts in Chinese and Spanish, visit us at ajph.org or subscribe to it on Android or iPhone podcast app, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, or on any other podcast app. That's it. Thank you for listening.